This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, we're going to study the Word tonight for a little while in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn there with me. And uh, tonight we're going to be picking up where we left off last week uh, with verse number 8. So this is where we left off. Uh, in our Bible study. I love to study the Word of God. I remember when I was just a young man before I had really branched out into the preaching aspect of the ministry. I can remember a dear pastor friend of mine who is now in heaven. He would take time to teach me the Bible. I remember sitting at his kitchen table uh, for several hours a night he would just pour his heart into mine. And I couldn't get enough of it. I just gleaned from the wisdom and years that, and, and the willingness that he had to invest in me in a young preacher's life. And uh, I can remember those of you in our church who know Brother Pete McGuire, who is now in heaven, he would, he would do the same. Whenever he would come to Virginia, he would just pour his heart into mine with Bible prophecy. He would teach me the Word. He would point me and direct me and coach me. And uh, I'm just thankful for the men that invested in me studying the Word. I know how valuable it is. I know how valuable it's turned out for me right now in my uh, older years. And I, I count this a privilege to be able to sit here with you on a Wednesday night and uh, go through the Word of God. I, I know what it meant to me as a young person to study, and I realized that all of you could be doing something else tonight, but you have chosen to come to the house of the Lord to open the blessed pages of Scripture and to study the Word. All right, so what I'd like to do is maybe uh, to launch us into verse number 8. Let's go back to verse 7. And I'll read verse 7 and 8 for you, and we'll get into the scriptures for this evening. Peter's writing, and he says this, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. Now, where we picked up last time in this specific part of the passage, this word sober means to be vigilant to be diligent. And if you remember in Peter's younger years, Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John a little farther in Gethsemane. He left the other disciples outside. He took them a little farther in, and Jesus, his instructions were simple. He said, watch and pray. And when Peter is moved by the Holy Spirit to, to put this into Scripture, watch unto prayer. There's no doubt in my mind his, his mind carried him back to those old ancient olive trees in Gethsemane. And then he writes in verse number 8, And above all things, have fervent charity, among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude 
of sins. All right, so I think most of you in here tonight realize that this word charity is is an expanded word for love. And most of us know that. And what I find amazing about this passage is that Peter, when he writes this verse of Scripture, he not only remembers the events that took place in Gethsemane, but he remembers the Scripture of the Old Testament because this passage is a quotation of an old ancient proverb. And I like to give you scriptures like this because in your study notes, the margin of your Bible, however you take notes, it gives you an opportunity to make notations and uh, reflections of what we talk about in the study. And if you're interested in your taking notes, somewhere beside verse number 8, you can write Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 12, because that's what Peter's doing. He's quoting from from the Old Testament scriptures. So I'm going to read for you again 1 Peter 4, 8, and then I'm going to give you the proverb that uh, he reflects upon while he's writing. Verse number 8, 1 Peter 4, And above all things, fervent charity or love among yourselves. He says, Have these things, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And then the proverb that he reflects upon Proverbs 10, 12, the word says, hatred stirreth up strifes. Now, most of you have been acquainted with people who love, who loathe in stirring up strife. I have met many, many people along the years of my ministry who just love to stir up strife. If they can find a contention, And by the way, if you can find a contention, you can find a crack of light of division. And the word is clear about this. He that soweth discord among the brethren, the Bible calls it an abomination. So whenever somebody is motivated or enthused or challenged or spirited by causing strife or discord, I promise you, it did not originate in heaven. And we have to be very careful because all the devil needs is a crack of light. That's all he needs. So when Peter is reminiscing and using this Old Testament proverb, he says, hatred stirreth up strife. It ought not to be in any one of our hearts to seek to cause strife. And he says this, hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. And so this is what Peter's in reference to in verse number eight. And I want to remind you of something in this passage, that the world that Peter was living in during the time that he writes this was a world that was hated in the Christian realm, so to speak. For example, the political correctness of Peter's day was to prosecute, persecute, and to harbor bitterness and hatred among God's people. And so Peter was encouraging 
these believers. He said, listen, you've, you've got to stick together. You've got to love one another because we're surrounded in a world of hostilities. We're surrounded in a world of bitterness. We're st- surrounded in a world that hates everything that we stand for. And so Peter makes it a very particular point to emphasize how important love was. And he's talking about not only loving the immediate vicinity of the brotherhood, which the word talks about that, but he was talking about loving strangers as well. And by the way, the Bible teaches us this, that we need to be careful who we entertain because sometimes we may entertain angels unawares. That's what the word says. But the emphasis here in verse number nine, look at this. Use hospitality. Now that's, that's a big word for us as believers. He said, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Now, this is talking about being friendly to strangers. And I think sometimes we as Christians fail at this. If you have been really paying attention to some of the recent sermons that we have been preaching in our Serving Together series and also the goals in our mission, I have been overly emphasizing the importance of of us taking some time out of the conclusion of our worship time together on Sundays and before we hit the aisle running and get into the parking lot and turn the car on and get out of here and get to the dinner table, I think it's important that we take some time, we invest time to speak to people who have come to worship with us. We've got to do that. We've got to let them know that we're friendly and we're kind and we're warm and we're glad that they're here and that we hope that they'll come back. And that's why I concluded the message on Sunday by saying this, that if you look around and if there are 10 people here among us that you don't know, you may say, oh, I know them. I, I see them every week, but do you know their name? Have you ever taken the time to say, Good morning. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. I hope to see you next Sunday. That's that's big with me. I'll stand at the door and sometimes I have stood at the door for 45 minutes shaking hands at long after the service is over with. And I don't mind doing that. Obviously, I can't stand at that door and talk to one person for 30 minutes. But I, I love talking to people. I think it's just important, especially if there are visitors among us. And in recent services, we have had visitors. Thank God for it. And so I think it's important that we show ourselves friendly. I can remember many years ago, uh, we had Dr. Lee Robertson here to preach for us many times. I'm glad that our church has hosted many great men of the faith. And uh, in fact, I was reviewing today some of these great speakers that we've, great pastors and preachers and evangelists that we have had through the years. I can remember the time we had Dr. Harold Seitler from Greenville, South Carolina, and he was the pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church all the way in Greenville. And I had him here for two nights. And the man was probably 85, 86 years old at the time. 
he traveled with his seniors on an old Greyhound bus that the church had purchased. And I can remember hosting Dr. Harold B. Seitler here, and uh, he would bring those seniors with him when he came. I I could go on Gary Coleman out of Texas, Jack Howes out of Hammond, Lee Robertson out of uh, Tennessee. And one of the last times that Dr. Robertson was with us, and I had him multitudes of times, he asked me, he said, would, would I be willing? He asked me, would I be willing to serve on the Board of Reference for Tennessee Temple University? And I said, absolutely. I would consider that an honor, a highlight of my life. He said, well, preacher, he said, we're going to be meeting mid part of July, and I forget the year that it was. He said, it would require you to come down here for a couple of days. And, um, but he said, I would count it a joy. And let me tell you this story, too. This is a sidebar from what we're talking about. It involves him. I don't know how many of you remember Highland Park Baptist Church where he pastored for 40 years. But also, he was the founder of Tennessee Temple University, and people came from all over the world to attend that place. Right on the corner of the street, there was a huge, huge sign in a replica of a traffic light. And... The traffic light set, and it was, it, it was huge. It was a landmark. People came from all over just to see the sign. But he had a very special saying underneath it that I kind of, in those days, adopted. But it said, uh, Tennessee Temple University, Highland Park Baptist Church, the Church of the Green Light. It was huge. And it would stay on green all the time. And so when, when I went down to talk to Dr. Robertson and, and visit with them at the, uh, the meeting, I said, you know what? I, because at that point, they had taken it down. And I said, do, do you know what you did with that? He said, oh, I have no idea what we did with it. He had a very faithful, loyal second man working with him, Dr. Uh, J.L. Faulkner was a good, good man. He loved God. Oh, was a soul winner. And he said, why are you asking me this question? I said, because if you can find it, can I have it? He said, what are you going to do with that? It's huge. I said, I know it. I'll stick it right out there on Buford Road, Church of the Green Light. He got a chuckle on it, and he said, I'll get Dr. Faulkner to see if he can find it. And... I went down there. He couldn't find it. He wrote me a letter back. The preacher, I've looked everywhere in every warehouse, storage room, facility we have, and I can't find it. So I had somebody in the church. A couple of guys got together and they made one. Church of the Green Light. I stuck it out there on the road, and about two weeks later, the sheriff showed up and said, "Listen, if you don't take that sign down there, I'm gonna fine you a thousand dollars a day." I thought he had lost his mind. And he said, you're confusing people on the street. He said, you're going to cause people to run a red light over here, thinking that this is a green light for them. Just It made sense to me, and I didn't want to pay the money, so I took it down. But anyway, that's a true story. I told you a long time ago that one of these days I'm going to write a book and say, that's going to call it, that really happened. But getting back to the message and the point, 
when, when he asked me to come down to serve on the Board of Reference for Tennessee Temple University, I said, I'll be glad to do it. Gail and I, we piled all our kids in the car and we, we took off. And when we got down there, I didn't know anybody. And this really stuck in my heart and my mind because the place was filled with preachers, pastors who had been invited to come down there just like me. But I didn't know anybody, and I saw there were different pockets of groups. That's how we do sometimes. We get in a little pocket of groups, and we think, well, this is where the world stops revolving. And that's how we have a tendency to miss visitors and to speak to people in our services because we get so caught up in our little circle here that we don't really pay attention to what's going on around us elsewhere. And people come in and go out, and we're so busy grabbing our stuff and zooming out of that door or this door or that door, and we just, we just got so much going on. But I can remember... Um, going into the conference hall there. And I knew I was there on a mission. I knew I was there on a task. And I was very proud that Dr. Robertson would ask this of me. And so I went in there and I was just, I was looking for a seat and they had a big meal for the preachers in the uh, afternoon and then the meeting session would be at night. And I felt like a fish out of water. I, I really honestly ask myself this question trying to find a place what am I doing here and it crushed my spirit and when I was about ready to throw the towel in I heard this strong crackly deep voice behind me brother Coot I turned around and there the man was standing right there. He said, come with me. We went and sat down. We had a meeting, had a great time. But I got to thinking about this. I wonder how many people, this, this really happened to Gail and I. We were, we were on vacation one year in South Carolina. We took a trip to Savannah, Georgia, and some other places that were down there. But we got in a little late. The service had already started. So we sat on the back row. They, they had the preliminaries like we do when we were doing the meet and greet, walking around, shaking hands and all that stuff. They were doing that as well. And Gail and I sat there on the back row and we sat and we sat and said, not one person in the entire church came to speak to us, not one. We went through all of that. We went through the service. And it just happened to be a Sunday when the pastor was away on vacation. Somebody else was speaking. I don't know who it was. Enjoyed the message. And we were about ready to get to the exit door. And, I, and the organist, she was an elderly lady, maybe 80-ish. But she made a beeline down the aisle. And she caught us. She caught me by the arm on the way out. And she said, I'm so glad you folks came today. And I said, well, thank you. And I got in the car, and my heart broke because I said to Gail, I said, God forbid that is a reflection of our church. That broke my heart to think. Now, when, when, you, when you 
when you put all of that stuff aside and, and I grow up and be a big boy and put my big britches on and be the pastor that I am, that stuff doesn't bother me. But when I put myself in the realms of where you sit and how you feel, I felt what maybe you or someone else would feel. And I said, God forbid that that is a reflection of us. And so the truth of the matter is to show hospitality, we've got to show ourselves friendly. In fact, the word says this, he that hath friends must show himself friendly. I've heard it many times. Some people through the years, they got mad, left church, and nobody spoke to me. I was a nobody. And I, my first response was, did you speak to somebody? Well, well, but no. Well, the scripture says, he that hath friends must show themselves friendly. It works both ways. But I pray that we would, we would step up. When I read this, when I wrote this in my notes weeks ago, these illustrations came to my heart and mind. In fact, there is a scripture I want to give you tonight. It's in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 10. And I have memorized this and try to, try to um, manifest it in my life through the years. The Bible says this, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we, we do have some accountability and responsibility with hospitality. Peter knew what it was to receive hospitality. Let me remind you of something. As he is writing the scripture, and Danny taught so well on this several months back, but if you remember, Peter, he had a wonderful encounter with the Holy Spirit at the seaside the Mediterranean seaside with Simon the Tanner when he was in Joppa. And do you remember when Simon the Tanner had invited Peter in and uh, gave him some refuge and, and nourishment? And, and here's the thing. I thought about this as well. Because Simon the Tanner, we don't hear much about him at all. In fact, there are many different Simons in the Word. We have to know which one we're talking about. But this, this is amazing. If Simon the Tanner had not been hospitable in his heart and opened his door, his home, I have been on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's house where Peter got the great vision, the four corners of the sheet. You remember the story. I have been on the, you can't do it now. I'm getting ready to take a load with me to the Holy Land in February. We will go to Simon the Tanner's house, but we can no longer get on top of the roof. But I can remember reading the scripture. If Simon the Tanner, which we don't hear a whole lot about in the word, but if he hadn't opened his doors, think about what might not have happened if he had been rebellious against the plan of God, because God through Simon the Tanner opening the doors of his house, being hospitable to Peter. When Peter goes up there, and you know he was in the trance and so forth, and God spoke to him in direct ways, but it was on that rooftop experience that God spoke to 
Peter and he said, listen, I want you now to open the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now you think about that just for a minute. Because this is what Peter had to do. He wrestled with God a little bit about the recipe and about the dinner table. But Peter also, he this is what he had to do. He had to, because the story goes on further than the rooftop of Simon the Tanner. You read Acts 10 and Cornelius and all of that was in play. But Peter had to accept the hospitality of a Roman centurion. Now ponder that for a while. God, God had just made it known. Open the door of faith to the Gentiles. And Peter, in the process, you're going to have to accept the hospitality of Roman centurion. So I, there's no doubt when Peter's writing this, I think he could also remember the time that he was in Antioch, but which, by the way, is in Syria, that, that he enjoyed the hospitality of some Gentile believers. And, and I want you to see this in Galatians chapter 2. Let's look there for a minute. I hope you're writing some of these cross-references down. So, I mean, if you use your Bible regularly, it will bless you in years to come if, if you have some of these things written down that you can go back and reference. But in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 11 through 13, this is what the Word says. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him. Now, this is Paul. He is saying, I withstood him to the face because he was to blame. Now, Peter did get himself in a truckload of trouble with Paul, and he got himself in, in sort of like we say it, uh, in a pickle. But look at verse number 12. The word says this, For before that certain came from James, <clears throat> he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew himself. Look at this. He withdrew and separated himself fearing them which were of the circumcision. So momentarily, Peter goes back under the law. And Paul now is rebuking him. He's saying, well, what are you talking about? You're eating with these people. You were eating with these people, these Gentile people, before James got here. And, and now you're going to pretend that you're not part of them and you're going back under the law. In verse 13, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So that's another message and another story. The point being is this, that Gentile people were very hospitable to Peter. And so Peter had many memories that hospitalities was the thing that ought to reflect our walk with Christ. It was shown to him, and he was saying, we need to show this to others. And he was encouraging believers to become addicted with hospitality. Peter had heard Jesus speak on it, and he had heard Jesus use this thing about hospitality many times as an illustration. In fact, turn here with me, if you will. I love Wednesdays because we can take time to go everywhere in the Word. But Matthew chapter 25 and they'll get the scriptures on the screen for you, but I want you to see this. I'm going to read verses 34 through 36. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, 
Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you and the foundation of the world. And in verse 35, for I was hungered. Now look at this. This is talking about hospitality. And you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. And so I think we need my, my plea and cry to the church here at Buford Road is we need more hospitality. We need to look around on Sunday mornings, and I hope you don't get out of the building tonight without talking to one another. But I hope you take time on Sunday mornings to visit and to say hello and to just lift up your hand and say, I'm glad to see you today. Verse number 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, here Peter is talking about sharing. And that's, that's a significant aspect of our faith, our walk. And this primarily he's talking about gifts. As every man hath received the gift. And so you've heard me say many times, we, we should not hoard up the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. And that, by the way, everybody in here has at least one. If you're a believer, every believer has at least one spiritual gift, at least one. But most of us have more than that. And we, we, just, we just cannot hoard up this thing of the Lord. In fact, I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to read for you verses 4 through 7. Look at the word. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh in all. And in verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And so we, we all have been given gifts, and here's the thing. We have to be good stewards of our gifts, how God has blessed us. And I'm sure as Peter is writing this, again, many things come across his mind. But in my study of this, when I think of how important it is to be a good steward of your spiritual gifts, I'm reminded of the story of Joseph. And he was the kind of steward I personally believe that Peter had in mind here. I want you to go back to the Old Testament with me just for a few moments, and we're just about out of time. And I think perhaps I'll only be able to share these two passages with you. I'm going to read in chapter 39, verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to scoot over to chapter 41 and look at verses 33, and it's going to take a little time to get through verse 57. And so stay with us, follow along with us, let the Word speak to your heart tonight. But in Genesis 39, verses 1 through 6, the Bible says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. 
And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had, he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Now flip over to chapter 41 and be patient with me as we read verses 33 through 57. Genesis 41, verses 33 through 57. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Okay, we need to go to verse 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Verse 47. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sea, or as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asneth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of Onbar, unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil in my father's house. And the name of the second called Ephraim, for God had caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenteous that was in the land of Egypt, 
were ended. And the seven years of dearth became or begun to come according as Joseph had said. And a dearth was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. One more verse. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was sore in all the lands. And so I think we can understand from these verses, and I know they were long, and perhaps somebody got sidetracked with it and maybe got uh, on another page or another thought. But these passages of Scripture reminds us the importance of being good stewards. And that's the kind of person, and you can see how God blessed and prospered Joseph's life because he was a good steward. And the same God who blessed Joseph will bless you and I as well. Amen. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.